chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. Here is how one can distinguish clearly between God's children and those of the adversary. Everyone who does not continue doing what is right is not from God. Likewise, anyone who fails to keep loving his brother is not from God. For this is a message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love each other and not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. And his brothers were righteous. Don't be amazed, brothers. Brethren, if the world hates you, we for our part know that we have passed from death to life because we keep loving the brothers. The person who fails to keep on loving is still under the power of death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. The way that we have come to know love is through him having laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If, if, if someone has worldly possessions and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How can he be loving God? Children, let us love not with words and talk, but with actions and in reality. Thank you, Paula. It seems that as we uh, get closer to November, the degree of noise gets more and more intense and, frankly, more and more ugly. And I realize that this has been part of politics, not just U.S., uh, for centuries. So it really isn't uh, uh, terribly surprising. Um, however, you, as you can imagine, you hear all kinds of folks speculating Hey, do we go with this one? Do we go with this one? And some folks are convinced that this one is the devil incarnate. The other folks think that the other candidate is the devil incarnate. And um, I saw a post on Facebook that really spoke to me. And it simply said, we don't know who the president is going to be, but we know who is the king. Doesn't that give you some degree of sanity? Um, especially during times that are uncertain, which, uh, which these times clearly are, um, it's real crucial for us to see to it that we're grounded. And uh, to use another metaphor, that we're anchored, not in shifting sands, but we're grounded 
in the presence and the sovereignty of God. And uh, John, first, uh, this letter is a letter for, for these times, as I've mentioned from time to time as we've been going through this. But yet, some folks are really allergic to this letter because John seems to park about half an inch away from your face. You know what I'm saying? And uh, makes these kind of statements that make you feel like, uh, okay, am I a child of God or my child of the devil? Um, and kind of uh, go back and forth. In fact, I had a conversation with my nephew, and he told me, and by the way, my nephew is, is a good guy. He's an exer, uh, meaning he is uh, uh, pushing 40. And uh, he has been a committed, strong believer forever. Uh, but he confessed to me that he has been steering clear of First John because it makes him real nervous. Um, well, reality is it should make us nervous in a good way. Uh, the Word of God cannot leave us passive and indifferent. It, since it is the Word of God, if God speaks to us, and since He is the Master of the universe, He sees fit to get in our faces and tell us things we're really not interested in hearing sometimes. That's how we grow. That's how we stretch. By hearing God's Word and by considering it, and allowing it to speak to us, and hopefully then taking it and applying it and putting it into practice and, and receiving the blessing God has for us. So let's pause for just a minute and ask the Lord to do that, to speak to us. Father God, we thank you for your word that is alive and actively powerful and sharper than two-edged sword dividing asunder between joint and marrows. Lord, we, we pray for each one of us. We place ourselves under your sovereign rule, and we're eager, Lord God, to hear from you as we've been listening throughout the service. We simply pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us in our language and give us soft hearts to take what it is that you do say to us. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. As we saw last Shabbat, John begins with this real touchy-feely kind of a statement. He who doeth what is sinful is of the devil. And by that definition, all of us would have to say, okay, I'm of the devil. Because each of us commits sins at least once a day, or twice or three times a day, and, um, and so we need to look, to come back and look at what John does say, what he doesn't say, uh, but before we do that, we need to remember that John, like the rest of Scripture, presents to us reality that is two-sided, like a two-sided coin. On one hand, on the other hand. So we want to begin with on one hand. On one hand, John spends a lot of time 
telling people who have chosen to follow Yeshua that they are special and precious to God. He spends a lot of time, as you read this book, you'll see over and over, and we saw our last Shabbat um, in the beginning of this chapter, wow, can you believe it? It's impossible to get our arms around the, off, the awesome love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that's really what we are. John isn't saying, um, if you are feeling worthy or good enough to be the child of God. No, he is saying God just poured out his incredible, relentless, boundless kind of love on us, whether we deserve it or not, that we should realize that we are sons, of, sons and daughters of God. Also, in the book of Hebrews, we see the same kind of what I would call touchy-feely approach in, in chapter 4. Let us approach the throne of grace boldly, freely, that we may find grace and mercy to help us when we need it. So in other words, the message is climb and climb up on daddy's lap. As I mentioned last Shabbat, for a lot of us, that's a difficult reality because we have father issues of one kind or another, and the notion of recognizing the Lord as our loving father, Abba, is something that really takes some doing and reaching for the love of God, the love that's already there. So that is where we need to begin our process. We need to park on the reality of the love of the Father for us that is unwavering regardless of the stupidities, not you, uh, that, that we commit. The second side of the coin is the sober, what I would call the Dutch uncle, you know, the, the you guys better shape up. The same book that we just read the statement, Come Climb on, on Daddy's Lap, the same book, the book of Hebrews, tells us the following. Our God is a consuming fire. Remember what happened to the sons of Aaron, that they became toast? So the message in the book of Hebrews over and over again also is do not spit on God's gracious gift of grace. And we find the same thing, the same kind of two-sided message um, here in, in John, uh, this letter in, in uh, the beginning of the book in chapter 1. If anyone claims that they do not sin, they're lying through their teeth. So tough mixture that we need to have both and. Both are the, the primary grounding reality of God's love and secondly the fact that if we are indeed the king's kids then we would love what he loves and hate what he hates and again John puts it very bluntly uh, in chapter 2 the previous chapter anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness 
Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. And here in this chapter, chapter 3, verse 10, um, as Paula read to us, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor anyone who does not love his brother. So again, both and, and, and today we're going to emphasize quite a bit the second side of the coin, and that is that if we are indeed children of God, then we will have a desire for holiness, righteousness. Why? Because, first of all, we love God, and, and we are motivated to do the things that he wants to do and stay away from the things he doesn't want. But also there's an element of fear, fear of God. And by the way, fear in Hebrew, yara, is one of the three main worship words in Scripture. It's not a paralyzing um, kind of fear, but it is a fear of respect and reverence and awe. In other words, this is who God is. Do I dare... Um, trample what he has given me and abuse it. The, the short version is, of course, no. Not because so much we're afraid that, that God would reach down and zap us, you know. But because we know who he is and, and we love him and we revere him so we don't beat ourselves because of the foolishness we do on one hand, nor do we dare to minimize the things that we do that are not of God. It's both and. So here, John continues to emphasize the need for us to do things continually. In other words, when he says that no one who sins is of the devil... He's not talking about an oops, I, uh, I shouldn't have done that. But he's talking about continuous action in which we dive into the muck of sin. It's a deliberate, ongoing choice to sin even though we know it's not of God. And so part of that here is the message to love. And by the way, it's not referring to warm mushiness, although sometimes that's appropriate. Hopefully not, not too much of it, you know, then you kind of get uh, overwhelmed. What is John speaking about when he's referring to love? Well, first of all, this is something that is not merely something that he's saying, but it's something that is characterized throughout script, that is characteristic of the people of God throughout Scripture. We obviously see what Yeshua said in, in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is repeated. So Yeshua is referring to primarily to the love that we have one for another when we are in a community of fellow believers. Now, he, 
does not at all imply that we only love the folks in the inside and we are contemptuous and hateful of the people outside. No. If someone is a child of God and if God is a God of love, we will love the people who are part of our mishpacha, but, but as well we will have the ability and a desire to love those who are outside. Why? Because God is love. So we see that with Yeshua. We see this in the Torah. Not a great shock. In Leviticus 19, 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, this is who I am, so you better do it. And of course, we know that when Yeshua was asked what is the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Part of the ongoing message here is, as well, you better love those who are part of your community because there are folks out there who hate you. Now, this is not to drum up paranoia, but if they're after us, then we can be paranoid. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a Jewish thing, you know. They've been after us for 2,000 years, so we are paranoid. For a very good reason, yes. Um, what John and what Yeshua both mean when they say that the world hates you is that we are operating in, in, in a totally, based on a totally different set of values than the world is. We're swimming upstream, the rest of the world is going downstream. And yes, people might, might say to you, oh, I, I really respect Yeshua, Jesus. You know, he was a wonderful teacher and so on. Um, but when push comes to shove about Yeshua's essential teaching, which is radical, it is radical. He demands radical commitment. People find that distasteful and, and, and close-minded and narrow-minded and so on and so forth. So John and Yeshua... Uh, instruct us to love one another. So, sometimes the way we know what to do is when we learn what not to do. And so John spent some time here um, speaking about the negative. So I want to park on the negative for a while and then we'll talk about the positive. Verse 12, Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And by the way, this really didn't have to, to merely to do with the fact that Abel brought an animal and Cain didn't. It had to do with a hard attitude primarily. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. In other words, this is what defines us, is the fact that we have love for one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Verse 14, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And as you know, that no murderer has eternal life in him. You want to back off and say, okay, John, why don't you tell us how you really feel? 
uses the word murderer here four times in a couple of verses. So what is that about? Well, think about um, obviously it goes back to what Yeshua was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, you have heard there was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And by the way, Scripture does not say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which loosely means um, airhead, is answer, answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, this is strong stuff. Um, we live in a culture that prides itself on put-downs. Think about the, the comedians. What did they do? They slice and dice everybody uh, they point out their, their foolishness, their inconsistencies. Why? So that everybody can laugh. Well, that's ridiculing, which is what Yeshua tells us not to do. Not to get our PhD in, in slicing and dicing people. Because that indicates where our hearts are. Now you say, whoa, okay, back off. Well, we all do that. We all do that. And the farther along in education you are, the more you learn to use all kinds of words to do that. <laughs> so what Yeshua is saying is that murder begins in the heart. And he's speaking, obviously, to people who say, ah, I'm, I'm good, I'm righteous, I, I, I keep the big ten, you know, ten commandments. And Yeshua's point is, oh yeah, let me point to you how you have the precursor of what's involved in killing somebody, murdering somebody. You have hatred in your heart. And that's what, that's what the Lord always, always, always does. He always zooms into heart to see what's in here because that is the source and the fountain of, of our actions. So the question is, what does it mean to love? What does it mean to hate? Well, a real simple definition, and then we'll look at it in a bit more detail. From where I stand, love is simply desiring and working to see God's best for somebody. Wanting to see God's best for a person. That's what love is about. Hatred is the, exact, is the polar opposite. Desiring a person's downfall. Somehow, saying in your heart or saying out loud, you know, that, that, that skunk needs to be put in their place. I know you never say that, but um, he needs his comeuppance. You know, he, he, he or she have, have elevated themselves, and they, they need a little humbling. And furthermore, they did me dirt, and uh, God, you're the righteous judge, so come and um, uh, cause their teeth to break and, and uh, cancer to pop and so on and so forth. Yeah, judgment. 
Yeah, good discipline for them. What John is saying is exactly the same as what Yeshua is saying, which is what we find in the rest of Scripture, in the Torah, etc. That a child of God is someone who is characterized by love, not by hatred. And, and, and you know, you think to yourself, well, the Ten Commandments were hard enough, then Yeshua sets the bar so high that no pole vaulter can go over it. Again, murder, uh, murder begins in hateful heart. And um, in case Yeshua didn't step on your toes, then, then he m makes a point of seeing to it that your toes are stepped upon. This is back to Sermon on the Mount and chapter 5. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer the gift. Now, do you realize how radical that is? What Yeshua is saying that when there is brokenness between you and a brother, between you and a sister, God isn't interested in your great expression of deep piety and spirituality. He is interested in your commitment towards shalom, which means peace, wholeness, and reconciliation. Now, I realize I've just managed to step on everybody's toes, including mine, and realizing that Yeshua's instructions rarely go down smoothly. They're always radical, designed to grab our attention. And Paul amplifies that in Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the evil one a foothold. And yes, conflict and, and uh, breakup of relationships are difficult. And they're complicated. And sometimes it takes time and effort and prayer and other people's help to address it. But the Word of God is, is emphatic and very clear. Either you want to see shalom, reconciliation brought about, or you don't. Today, tomorrow, the day after, at some point, you want to see that and you're open to God's working in your life. And you say, Lord, uh, excuse me, this isn't particularly tasteful. It's not fun. But this is what your word says, and yes, I'm willing to do what your word says. We always, always, always must recognize the absolute sovereignty of God over us in good and bad and ugly. That's part of what is involved in, in loving our brother or loving our sister. Seeing to it that when there is brokenness, 
we work towards pursuing and by the grace of God having reconciliation of some sort. Love also is self-sacrificial. Here in verse 16, this is how we know that we love oh, what love is. Yeshua the Messiah laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Again, exact repetition of what Yeshua is saying. So when you think about it, the model that it gives us is simply that Yeshua did not give us leftovers. And, 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 and the truth is, we tend to do that for each other sometimes. And we justify it with all kinds of explanation. But the truth is, loving sacrificially is counterintuitive. In other words, it's not something that comes naturally to us. Because what comes naturally to us is looking out for number one. The survival instinct. I, I, I got to see to it that I'm taken care of. And yet the Word of God talks to us about loving sacrificially. Um, husbands are expected to love their wives sacrificially. And I always get a big kick when husbands come to me and complaining about their wives not submitting. I ask them if they have been loving their wives sacrificially. Um, there's silence there, typically. <laughs> loving sacrificially is also in, in our congregational mishpacha. Yes, there are things, you have things to do, people to see, lunch appointments to go to, but there's stuff to, to be done as part of setup and breakdown. I'm just using one example. It, it, again, it begins in the heart and the attitude that says, God, I am willing to love sacrificially, not to be a leech. And our culture teaches us to be leechy, not like the fruit. But to, but to take and take and take and not give. A, it's not healthy. B, it's not God's way. And I understand when folks first come to Yeshua Tzion, they need to sit, they need to learn, they need to receive, they need to check us out and, and see what planet we came from. But at some point, the Spirit of God in a person will prompt them to say, okay, you've been getting good stuff, time for you to um, raise yourself up and, and look for opportunities to serve. And yes, John speaks a lot about hatred, and you back off and say, I don't hate. But, but there's a range between hatred and contempt and indifference. And indifference, folks, is also a decision not to care about a brother or a sister. It's a deliberate choice. Deliberate choice. John points this out in verse 17 here. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him 
How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not with words and tongue, but actions and truth. And if you read read the original language, it's very very graphic. It speaks about um, a person hardening their innards. You know, it comes deep from inside. So what John is saying is the same thing as we find throughout Scripture. Love must be expressed practically. Practical action. And yes, there are times when you need to use words. Words of affirmations are hugely important. When we say to one another, you know, I appreciate you. Your, uh, what you do is valuable. I'm very grateful, etc., etc. But there has to be a lot more. There has to be action. And yes, it is a sacrifice, folks. You can be doing all kinds of other stuff. But you make a choice to extend yourself and to give for the benefit of another person. In our case, in our context, part of our congregational mishpacha. These are strong words, and I realize that, but, but again, we begin with the basic reality that, that, our, that our Abba, our Heavenly Father, loves us to death, loves us to pieces. A love that is unexplainable, inexplicable. That He welcomes us to come and and uh, seek him and draw strength and encouragement from him. And to revel in the fact that we are his kids. That gives us a great deal of security in, in an insecure kind of a world. At the same time, we recognize that since he is who he is, a righteous and a holy God, that that must be our desire and, and our passion is, is to become holy people as God is holy. Both and. That because of our love for him and our reverence for him, we want to demonstrate our actions that we are like him. Again, that we love what he loves and hate what he hates. And that we are not interested in using spiritual language to cover stuff that is yucky. But we're willing to acknowledge it for what it is and say, you know, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm, I'm indifferent. I really don't care. Um, I'm really more interested about me than anybody else. And then learn on an ongoing basis, not once, but an ongoing basis, to give ourselves sacrificially for the growth and development and maturation and, and flourishing of somebody else and our congregational mishpacha. Remember, folks, that as we grow together as a congregation, then 
it brings about growth and maturation for all of us as individuals. But it's based on our learning to be continual, continually engaged in pursuing God's priorities. Primarily, learning to love one another. It's a challenge, but he's able to show us how to do it. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the stretch and, 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 and how, Lord God, you challenge us and, and uh, show us our sin and our inadequacies, but you don't leave us there. You welcome us to, to draw our strength and our wisdom from you. And Lord God, I pray for each and every person. Lord, you know where they are in the spectrum of what we just read. We pray, Lord, that your Ruach, who convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, will do the work of pointing out what needs to be changed and give us the measure of faith we need to trust you that you're able to bring about that growth and maturation and blessing in our life so that we can bless others. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.